From the moment we take our first breath or we are sent or, or we receive messages from the world around us um, that have a lasting impact on our lives. It starts with our parents and our, our families, but it can come from our schools, our friends, our grandparents, our teachers, our, our pastors even. Here is an example of something from when I was young. So I was a keen sportsman growing up, and I remember for one of my birthdays, I think my 10th or 11th birthday, I asked for a, a DF Magnum cricket bat. And I don't, know if, I don't think they even make DF Magnums anymore, but a DF Magnum was, it was like the bat to have. And it was much to my horror when I opened the boot of my dad's car on my birthday, because for some other reason he kept it in the boot of his car, um, only to find a DF Colt cricket bat and not a DF Magnum. Now, there was nothing wrong with a DF Colt. It was actually a very good bat, but it, it wasn't the DF Magnum. And it was, it was obviously a lot cheaper as well than the DF Magnum, and that was the reason why my folks had bought that for me. The message I received from that is that I wasn't worth that extra little bit of money for the DF Magnum. I remember another story. I remember leaving my new North Face tackies. I don't know if, if any of you had... Um, no, no, they weren't... It, it wasn't uh, North Face. North Star. North Star tackies outside in the garden, and, and our dog chewed them. And I received such a tongue lashing from my mother, and I was told in no uncertain terms that I was forgetful, for starters, and that I was lucky that my head was screwed on, otherwise I'd lose that as well. And do you know that to this day I still consider myself to be forgetful? That had a lasting impression on me, that incident and, and many others. Um, and then of course there are our life experiences uh, that we go through. You know, I stood on the side of a swimming pool and I watched my dad dive into it and break his neck, never to walk again. And I don't even know the full extent of, of what that experience has had on my life. But what I do know, or have no doubt, is that these traumas and these experiences that we have shape us in the way that we view the world. You know, what, what is really safe um, out there in, in the world? And then, of course, there are the magazines that we read, the movies that we watch, the fashion trends, the, the sports stars, and all their fame not to mention social media and everything that's going on on social media at the moment. These are all messages that we receive about what we should look like, how, how to become popular, what I should say, and how I should behave in this world. And these messages shape our perspective of the world around us. They shape our perspective of what we think is expected of us, the standard that we need to aspire towards, what we need to do, to be, to have, um, and to achieve. And this perspective is shaped because all of us as, as humans have a fundamental need for three things. We have a fundamental need for acceptance from people around us. We have a fundamental need for significance, that our life has meaning, and that in some way we're contributing to society. And we have a fundamental need for security. Am I safe? Am I going to be safe in the future? And our versions of, of this standard, the, you know, these things that we need to do or achieve, are, are going to be different depending on our families and, our, and the society that, that we get brought up in or that we grew up in and what we've been exposed to, what is deemed to be important. For example, 
in, in my household, if, if, sport, if a sport didn't involve a ball, it wasn't a sport. And as a result, I paid very little attention to anything that involved endurance-type sports um, growing up. Um, history, as a subject, was an absolute no-no because my mother, once upon a time, had got 33 out of 300 in an exam, and it was of no good to man or beast, history. Um, as a result, I never took history as a subject. In fact, I almost didn't join a club at school called the Natural History Club, which is actually all about wildlife and the outdoors because it had the word history in it. That's how conditioned I'd been. Sorry, I've got a fly buzzing around me. Basically, what I'm describing here is a worldly system of performance. We are told what is important in life and what standard of perfection, or, or not even perfection, but what standard we need to hit. Um, and, and much of our society that we surround ourselves with or that we find ourselves in confirms us and perpetuates this system. Our capitalist economy, for example, is all about performance. Much of um, our work environments, our, our friendships even, are, are about performance. Um, and dare I say, sometimes even our churches are about performance. It is all about performance, what I do, what I achieve, the company I keep, the car I drive, and what I need to be loved. Because in this system, we get our value and identity from our talents, our successes and achievements, our looks and our appearances, our performance and our status. We, we derive our happiness and our joy by by what we, what we have done and our successes in life and our circumstances. And we get our security from the, the stuff that we have or the, the people that we have relationships with, you know, or, or whether I have a plan B, you know, do I have a, do I have a purple passport just in case things go belly up? These, these are the, the things we look for for our, for our security. It's all about doing stuff in our own strength, it's all about having faith in us, in yourself, about you know, achieving these, these standards. And we spend our lives striving for them. You know, or if, if they seem too out of reach, we settle for average. We settle for average in our lives. Or more than likely a combination of, of the two. Um, some of you may rebel against them altogether, but I, I don't want to go into that. But what we soon enough realize, you know, even if we are able to meet these standards that we set for ourselves, is that, you know, and that you're living in a, in a place that makes you feel safe or whatever the case might be, is that it's only momentary. Our successes are only momentary. It's just a matter of time before someone comes along with a better business idea than yours. It's just a matter of time before they bring out a new car or there's a better place to live or whatever the case might be. It's, it's just a matter of time before that thing that we thought was going to bring us value disappears from us. Um, and if you perhaps um, have settled for average, maybe they seem unattainable to you, you are going to be left with the sense of, of guilt and shame that you haven't perhaps reached the standard that you've set for yourself or, or, um, you know, or you're going to have this nagging feeling that, that my life was worth more than this, or I could have done more, or been, been more. You see, the problem with this, this world system is that it's actually a trap for two reasons. 
you and I are not perfect, and we never, we, we never will be, and we, we were never made to be perfect. So whatever perfection we've set for ourselves is actually more than likely unattainable. And secondly, we were not designed to have our needs met by the world. And the reason for this is because we are spiritual beings, and we were created in the image of God, and the only person who can meet our needs is God himself. So you've already heard all of this before. I'm not telling you anything new. So, so we realize this, and we become Christians. But then what we do is we take our, or what we tend to do is we take our, our worldly model and we apply it to our faith. And what we do is we adopt a religious mindset to our faith. It's all about doing the right thing so that we can gain our acceptance. Um, but sooner or later we realize that we, we can't do that. The, 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 the perfection of religion and what it demands of you is impossible to reach. It's impossible to, to attain. You know, you just have to look at the Jews and, and the law and how they um, showed us over and over again that, that the standard of perfection is impossible to, to attain. So how then do we get our needs met by God but without the religion? You see, God has made this possible through the finished work of Jesus. And the finished work of Jesus refers to his death and his resurrection. And it allows us, as believers, to become justified, righteous, redeemed, and absolutely perfect in God's eyes. Jesus took all of our sin and all of our imperfection on himself. So when God looks at you and I now, he sees us as perfect. He's adopted us into his family. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We're part of a royal priesthood. And in that space, all of our needs for acceptance, significance, and security can be met. But there's a catch. There's a catch to this, and that it has absolutely nothing to do with performance. It is not religion. It is a gift given to us by grace, through faith, not by works. No amount of perfect, no amount of good deeds or striving, hitting a certain standard will get you there. You just have to believe in Jesus. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9, says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, when, when you accept this, you're, you're, you, you are able to be your true self. Your value and identity comes not from what you do, but it comes from what, on who God is. And it comes from what He has done for you and who you are in Him. Your joy is, is from who God is and what He's done for you. And your security is in who God is. It's all about God and nothing about you and about what you can do. So, <clears throat> oh, sorry, yeah. so if there is nothing that, that I can do to get this gift, what is actually the point of doing anything? What is the point of, um, you know, 
striving for anything? Why, why shouldn't we just be average and, and stick to this eternal promise or, or hold out for this eternal promise? Reading from, from Hebrews 10 verse 14. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So while on the one hand, through the finished work of Jesus, you've been made perfect, you are being made holy. It seems almost like a contradiction. Um, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 talks about, and we all who are with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's this, there's this concept of we are holy being made holy. We are being taken from glory to glory. So it's about God seeing us as being holy and God seeing us as being perfect. But there is a process of us stepping in to that identity. So to answer the question, why shouldn't we just settle for average? Because while I'm sure God is actually okay with you being average, I do not believe that that is your true self. And I do not believe that that is, is what the best that he has for you. Uh, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, for starters, we are made in God's image. And God is, is a God of excellence. You know, you just have to look at the world around you, if you look at the human body, sure, it's a little faulty in our fallen world, but it's, it's just amazing when you, when you look at what, is go, what God has created and, uh, and what's out there. He's a God of excellence. And if we made in his image, why would he want us and why would you want to settle for average? You know, God has a plan for our lives, and we've heard this a thousand times, and he's wired us to do things that will not only bless us, and, but bring him glory. More than anything, God wants us to be our true self. Not our false self that the world demands, the self that is disconnected from God, but our true selves, to be fully alive. So how do we navigate this tension? This tension between not striving to meet the expectations and standards opposed on us by the world or ourselves, but also not being average. How do we navigate this tension? You know, because... You still want to be a good parent, don't you? Or a good wife or, or a good friend. You still want to do well at your work and your job. How do we live in a way that allows us to become our true selves, to mature into the fullness of how we've been created without the guilt and condemnation that comes from hitting a perfect standard? I believe the answer can be found in the following passage. Reading from Romans 12. I'm going to read the NIV version because that's the version that you'll be familiar with. But then I also want to read the message version because I think it gives us further clarity into the passage. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then reading from the message version. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, your eating, 
your going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize that he wants what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So I'd like to tell you um, a little story uh, just now that I hope is going to make this real for you and, and help explain how we can actually apply this to our everyday life because I'm not a great one for just looking at the, the, the theological um, silver lining without actually applying it to our lives. <clears throat> and, and you've most probably heard that verse a hundred, hundreds of times. Okay? But what does it actually mean? You know, how do I apply that to our life? The last time I checked... I exist in the real world with real world issues and, and, and real world consequences for how I act and behave. You know, if I don't brush my teeth, I'm probably going to get a hole and I'm going to have to go to the dentist. You know, if I do a bad job at work, there's a chance that I might lose my job or not get um, put forward for that next promotion. You know, if I invest my life savings in a business and that business doesn't work out, I'm going to lose my money. And if I don't pay my mortgage, sooner or later someone's going to come knocking at the door. These are real world, world issues with real world consequences. So how do we operate in this tension between not focusing so much on them and trying to do a good job with them, but accepting this eternal reality or promise that we are perfect in God's eyes and that he doesn't want us to be average? I've told this story once before, but I didn't feel like I quite did it justice, so I'm going to have another go at it. I hope you don't mind. <clears throat> so when I, um, when I was getting, um, finishing school, and you know, you go through that process of, of deciding what you're going to do next, um, I decided that I wanted to go to Stellenbosch University, and I'd applied, and I'd got in. I'd got into Siemensberg, which was like the res to get into if you were from where I went to school. Um, and, and in that particular year, they, they, had, they were tired of these Englishmen coming from Natal and all going to Siemensberg. So they only allowed three people from our entire school to get into this house. And I was one of those three. The other one was our head boy. And, and the other one had a brother who was there, and there was me. So I was like, I was set. I was going to the res I wanted to, and I, and I um, was going to the university that I wanted to. I then got invited to uh, Natal under-19 cricket trials. And I thought, this is weird. Eh? Why have they invited me to these cricket trials? Because all, you know, the games and everything were, were happening in the new year, and I was, I was off to Stellenbosch. But I thought, you know, what the heck? I'm going to go and try it out. It was at Kingsmead, which was always fun to play at. And I had a bunch of friends who were, were going as well. So I thought, let me go and, and try this out. You know, what, what have I got to lose? Um, so off I, off I went. <clears throat> and... Um, I went out to bat. I was a batsman and a bowler, but um, I, I went out to bat, and I had I had the most unbelievable innings of my life. I I couldn't do a thing wrong. The ball was the size of a basketball. I remember hooking the one oak for six um, on Kingsmead, and I like I didn't hit sixes. It was, 
it was just the most amazing um, innings. And I ended up making 50-odd and about 30 balls, and then I, I nicked off and I, and, and I went back to the change room. And um, Graham Ford, who was the Natal cricket coach at the time, came up to me in the changing room. I hadn't even taken my pads off, and he came up to me and he said, well batted, um, what are you doing next year? Well, this year, it was actually in the January, if I'm not mistaken. And I said, hey, oh, Graham, sorry to tell you this, but I'm actually off to Stellenbosch. And, um, and he said, oh, that is a shame. Is there anything that we can do to change your mind? I'd had such a good innings that the Natal cricket coach had come to me and he wanted me to stay in KZN. And, um, you know, I ended up staying in KZN. They offered me a bursary and, uh, you know, the rest of the story isn't really that relevant. But it, it, was, it was an unbelievable experience. I then went on, I made the, the Tanda 19 team, and I went on to make a few runs against Transvaal. Um, but it wasn't a good innings, like I scratched around, and it, it was like a bit of a struggle. And you know that I was never, ever able to replicate that performance again. And I played a whole lot of cricket after that, club cricket for varsity and stuff. And I was never able to replicate that performance again. And I've, I've, just, I've often thought, like I've thought long and hard about what it was about that particular set of circumstances that allowed me to play the way I did, that allowed me to, you might say, play to my full potential. Because it was in there somewhere. It was me out there playing those shots. It was me playing. But I, didn't, I, didn't, I hadn't played like that before. I'd never, I never was able to play, with, play like that again. But it was in me somewhere, something that, that came from, from somewhere inside of me. And I've come to the sort of point where I, I believe the reason why I was able to play like that was because I didn't fear the result. I didn't fear whether I would make that team or not because I was going to Stellenbosch. I had no expectations on me. No one expected me to make the team because it didn't really matter. I was actually just there enjoying myself and having fun. But in that moment, I was able to play the best cricket I've ever played in my life. I was free to, to, to really play to, to my potential. I was able to be my true self in that moment. And I believe that this is exactly what is on offer from God through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Yes, we have real-world issues and, and consequences to deal with, and we can't simply ignore these. But what I believe God is saying through this story is that because of his, the finished work of Jesus, because of how he sees you, you don't need to fear the result in whatever it is that you're doing. You can care less about the world's version of perfect or your version of perfect, which is really even worse than the world's version, or this perceived standard that you must hit because this is a trap and it's never going to meet your needs. You can give up on religious perfection because not only is it unattainable, it's not required. But what you can care more about is you can care more about your perfection in Christ because of what Jesus has done. Because in actual fact, the results don't really matter. The result doesn't change how you are seen by God. Yes, they may impact you in your, your moment, but they don't change how God sees you. And I believe this is what Paul is referring to in Romans 12 too, when he says, 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world. He's saying you don't have to subscribe to the pattern of this world that puts all these standards or expectations on you or the patterns that you have put on yourself, the expectations that you've put on yourself. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And the renewing of your minds, as suggested by the message translation, is embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. I understand that has been our understanding of the gospel message and knowing, really knowing your identity as a son and a daughter in Christ, a perfect creation, holy and pleasing to God. In the Christian way of thinking, in this way of thinking, trust in God replaces fear of the results and all of the anxiety and pressure that this puts on you. Unconditional love and acceptance replaces fear of man and what people might think of you. And the eternal promise of our salvation replaces the fear of our future. And here is the silver bullet. When we operate from this position, when we take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking about life, and place it before God as an offering, as per Romans 12, In other words, you say, I hand this over to you, God. I'm not worried about the results. I'm trusting you for the results. Then, and only then, can we be our true selves. We are able to, over time, release our full latent potential. That stuff that's in us, that God has put us, the holy becoming holy. You're holy. You know, know less holy now than you are there, but it's in you. And we have to go through this journey of walking into that or stepping into that and it's only when we take hold of this that I believe we, we can really truly do that and in this place we are also able to hear from God the message says this position brings out the best in us and then it says readily recognize what he wants from you when we are fully submitted we can fully hear from God operating from this position is where we find our true happiness our peace and our love the best version of ourselves. And even if we absolutely botch it, and let's be honest, we must probably will from time to time, we might get it completely wrong. It changes nothing in terms of our identity, and God will use our mistakes and our botches for, for good. It says so in the Bible. But now I'm very, effect, I'm very aware of the fact that there's going to be an ongoing struggle between the world system and what that demands of us and this kingdom principle. And I don't underestimate the role that the enemy plays in this. And we're constantly going to be torn between the two. And I don't mean to suggest for a second that, that what you feel um, when you're faced with certain challenges or circumstances isn't real. And I also don't want to suggest that your problems will go away simply if you get this message. Indeed, we are all on a journey moving from this worldly system to this to this kingly this kingdom system and you may need to go through this journey of understanding your feelings understanding these things from your past these expectations that have been placed on you or that you've placed on yourself <clears throat> and it might not happen for you immediately look i believe god can change in an instant what may take years of therapy and self-reflection and it might happen but it might not for you there may be a journey that you need to that you need to go through. But as you do this, but as you do this, always keep your focus 
on your eternal identity, your true self, and work towards operating from that identity and not from the world or, your, or, or what you expect or the standard that you set for yourself. This, I believe, is how we operate in true freedom. So if you are able to renew your mind to the extent that you operate from this position, in the hands of a kind, loving judge, you will realize that you will realize that you don't have to compete with anyone or measure up to anything, but that you have a life that means something, a gift that is needed, a responsibility that matters, and a mission that deserves your best. And you'll have a father who will coach, forgive, and empower you along the way, and who promises to discipline and reward you not for being perfect, but for becoming for becoming fully alive and totally yourself. Let us pray. Dear Father God, we pray that you would help us to see the difference between worldly expectations and your true freedom. Lord, I pray that you will lift the burden of expectation and perfection and the guilt and the anxiety that comes with this. Show us a new reality, Lord, one that is rooted in the finished work of Jesus. And in an attitude of prayer, I just want to read this over you. If you're feeling the weight of a worldly system on your life, the expectations of others or the standards you've set upon yourself, I'd like to declare this over you now. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Thank you, Brett. That was absolutely fantastic. Um, so I'm going to let you go in a minute. I just wanted to um, close this, kind of put a bow on the series, um, just for a moment, if you don't mind. Um, and I think that really today was the best message we could end with, just um, not caring so much about what the world tells us about perfection and, and really caring about what God says about perfection. Um, I had come across this verse years ago, and it's kind of, gone through my mind so much through this series, and I haven't actually spoken about it, but it's from Psalm 90, verse 12, and it says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And another version, it says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And um, I think that when we're struggling with the what do we care about, you know, what, what, which people are we meant to care about most, and which missions are we meant to care about? Like what, what thing that's tugging at our heart do I need to apply my attention to? What do I need to care less about so that I can care fully about the things that God wants me to? I feel like this verse is so valuable to us. It's such a gift. Um, just teach us to understand the brevity of life so we can grow in wisdom. And um, some of us were privileged to go along to little Saxon's funeral the other day, this little beautiful 11-month-year-old who's impacted so many lives. And, you know, this verse really jumped out to me again because her dad um, told us that he had done something 
naughty, very naughty, that most mothers would want to throttle their husbands over. You know, Nikki would be up all night with a little Saxon some nights and then finally get her to sleep at five in the morning. And then her dad, would um, Andre, would go through in the morning and he couldn't resist but waking this little Saxon up to say goodbye before he went to work. And then he would, you know, kind of go, oh, Nick, sorry, she woke up and then present this child back to the mum, you know. And in any other situation, I think moms would want to stab their husband when he revealed that. Am I right? Because sleep is valuable and precious. But, you know, in the light of the fact that this little Saxon only had 11 months, wouldn't we all just celebrate the fact that he did that? You know, and that he had an inkling of the, maybe of the brevity of Saxon's life, and he did what, what was best. And nobody will ever regret that he did that. Nikki will never be upset that he did that, and he will never, ever regret having done that. And, you know, when we are faced with, with death or things of great gravity, we actually are able to focus on the tremendous beauty around us. And, you know, there's the, the horror of death on the one hand, and then there's just this magnified beauty that we get to see in those around us. And um, so just in closing this series, I'd like you all to just hold that in your heart somewhere. God, teach me about the brevity of life so that I may grow in wisdom. Like God wants to guide us each and every day to know which people to press into, which actions to press into, which thoughts to press into, which um, where we need to remind ourselves of the perfection that he's given us and worry less about the stupid little things around us so that we can live wisely and care about what we need to care about today and not tomorrow. So let me close in prayer and then we'll go out and get bacon rolls and tell the children that they're amazing. <laughs> Father, just thank you, God, that you love us so much, that you want us to live with wisdom that is just not of this world. God, you just want us to live fully with your wisdom and not this earth's. And so, God, we pray that we would be a people who live radically, who understand so clearly, because we've heard from you, what it is that you want us to push into, what you want us to care deeply about, and what it is that is not meant for us to care about. God, we thank you for this series. And we just thank you for one another, and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. See you tomorrow night for Raymond, and, um, and Wednesday morning for prayer. It's been wonderful to be with you.